Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of the Global Gamers Podcast and our second episode of 2024. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe it's a new year, but uh, we're going to keep them coming. Yep. Uh, I was just joking with you that after this episode, we'll have um, more episodes than American presidents. Mm-hmm. Seems like a fitting observation in an election cycle. <laughs> it, well, and especially with President's Day not all that far away. That's next month, though. But yeah, yeah. close enough. Yeah. Um, and speaking of being on theme, we are going to review a game that we that is new and exciting, and that we thought would be an appropriate one to review in the depths of winter in mid January. And the game I'm talking so. about is the Fox Experiment. And this is a new release designed by Elizabeth Hargrave, who infamously designed Wingspan. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Frazier, who, as you pointed out to me, has also designed some other well-known games, including Flamecraft. And yeah, this is one that came out at the end of 2023. And to be honest, I don't think either of us were looking forward to it a ton or really were that it wasn't even interested radar that much yeah like i think we knew it existed but it just didn't seem that compelling and the way it it's like the cool story of how i ended up getting my hands on this game was that i went to our local board game store labyrinth Mm -hmm. because elizabeth hargrave was there in it was small business saturday so it was right after thanksgiving so this is late november And she was, you know, just meeting and greeting people and signing games. So I took my Wingspan rulebook. And the table that she was at, in addition to, you know, having a stack of Wingspan products, particularly, you know, Wingspan Asia and the new um, fan art cards, Mm -hmm. she also had a stack of the Kickstarter edition of the Fox Experiment. And so I kind of made a spur-of-the-moment decision. I thought, oh, well, this is cool. I can get my hands on a Kickstarter edition of this game um, and get it signed. And it was for, like, a pretty reasonable price. And my thinking was, you know, worst case, if we don't like this game, I'm sure it would not be that difficult to sell the Kickstarter edition, especially with the designer's signature on it. But... I guess let's let's delay about whether or not we did like this game until the end. Um, don't want to give it all away, but yeah, that's basically the backstory of how I got this game on my shelf and how we ended up bringing it to the table. Yeah, for sure. In the past well, few weeks. Well, and I feel like uh, thematically, I mean, we can get into theme in just a minute, but uh, just one other reason why it feels appropriate to be doing a game based on like a soviet era genetic fox experiment in january yeah um <laughs> less depressing well more depressing link i guess mm. yeah um indeed but yeah so we can get into discussing the game itself sure so the theme as you just alluded to is um it's based off of a real 1958 soviet science experiment where some scientists um 
basically tried to recreate the process that led to the domestication of dogs Mm -hmm. by breeding foxes instead of wolves this time. And basically across generations, bred for certain traits that they realized, um, different like phenotype traits. So, you know, the fluffiness of the tail, the bark, all those kinds of things um, that they realized were correlated with how friendly the fox was. Which is an so, interesting yeah, observation that's the theme. in and of itself. Um, yeah. Another fun little Easter egg in this game is, from what I can tell, one, the names of the name of one of the scientists involved in the experiment that inspired the game was Lyudmila. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but... Lyudmila, yeah. That is the name of one of the foxes that you can play in the experiment. Well, I'm pretty sure there's a, the other... Um, scientist is Dimitri, and I'm pretty sure there's a Dimitri I think fox is, in the game yeah. as well. Basically, any vaguely Slavic <laughs> name, it's there's a fox. Here. Yeah, yes. um, there's some Vlads, Dimitris, Ludmilas, Olgas. Yeah, yeah, they're all they're all in there. Um, do you want to give the uh, our little board game geek overview, and then I can get into the rules overview? Yeah, because I think I've played it a few more times than you have. Yeah, sure. That sounds good. So, um, yeah, as Ed said in the introduction, uh, the Fox Experiment came out in 2023. And this is a game for one to four players. Uh, Playtime of about an hour and a complexity. Although there is there is a five and six player expansion that you can get. Just Mm. yeah. Thanks for for those interested. Good point. Um, complexity rate of a shade under two and a half, two point three seven. Uh, we mentioned the designers already: Elizabeth Hargrave of Wingspan fame and Jeff Fraser, Fraser, the uh, the brains behind Flamecraft. Uh, the artist for this game is Joe Shawcross, and this game is distributed by Pandasaurus Games, and. You know, we already kind of got into the uh, Soviet-era fox domestication experiment that, real-life experiment that kind of, like, was the genesis behind this game. Um, but, I mean, the basic idea is this is a a roll-and-write game. So you're, you know, rolling dice that have different symbols on them some of them fully completed shapes some of them half completed shapes and you're rolling them to like basically breed your foxes across five generations and you know compete to see which traits you can max out and compete to see whose traits are the highest and who therefore has the friendliest fox it's um, yeah. I will say, though, before I knew about the uh, origins of the <clears throat> Soviet real-life experiment, the friendlier and, like, genetics part of it seemed a little bit tamer and a little bit more, like, um, mm, non-threatening than <laughs> once I found out all about all of that. I don't know if you felt that way. Mm, not really. No. I didn't really think one way. I didn't really feel strongly about it one way or the other. Yeah, um, maybe. Like the theme really wasn't what drew me for sure to this game. Um, 
that's for which, sure. Too. Although that's not to say it's a bad it's, theme. It's, like it's, now it's a having very played interesting it, theme. Yeah, and but like it was. It it's one of those well. games where like I feel like I had to actually play it to appreciate it. You know, like the uh, yeah. the sales pitch didn't quite do it for me up front. That's right. um, but in terms of how thematic it is, I think I give this game a lot of points for that because mm-hmm. those die like the die roll that you were just describing is supposed mm-hmm. to simulate. You know that when you're breeding, you have a genetic roll of the dice, and that with you know, different DNA from two different parents, even if you're like breeding multiple foxes from the same two parents, you can get pretty different results using the same parental DNA. And that's really what the dice are simulating, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so just to give a little bit more of an explanation about how the game is played. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it is a game that takes place across multiple generations. So five generations And that basically means that you play the Fox experiment over five rounds Mm -hmm. and each round is broken down into a number of different phases during which you will take different actions in a certain sequential order that is very well laid out for you on reference cards at the back of the rule book. Yeah. So the first phase is a very interesting drafting phase where based off of what your turn order is and this changes every round um potentially you are drafting three different things you're drafting a mother fox a father fox and then um these like tech tiles these upgrade tiles i guess um basically that basically give you one time right yeah one time resources and Mm -hmm. will determine who plays first in the next round so and you can draft those in any order you want so if you see you know there's one female fox that's super appealing to you and you really want it and the other two are not good um but they're two male foxes that you know you kind of feel equally about both of them you can draft the female fox first to claim it and then the person drafting after you can take what they want and then you just go back and forth until you each have taken all three things Right. Um, and once that's done, you basically get your setup for the round. So everybody starts with one wild die. And then in addition to that, you will get dice based off of the parents you drafted. And each of the dice are color-coded to one of the four main traits. Mm-hmm. So if my parents, if my, if one of my parents would give me two blue dice and the other one gives me a brown and a red, I will get all four of those dice plus the wild one that I started with. And then we will roll those dice to do the roll and write mechanism. This is like the second phase of the round that you mentioned earlier, where you will base off the roll, those dice combine the traits and mark off on the baby on the pup. um, How many completed traits you got, the more you do, the better that Fox is the friendlier that Fox is. So you'll score it for its friendliness. Um, and it will also determine which resources you get as a prize for how well that fox is bred. And it will also, when that fox becomes a parent in the next generation, it will determine which dice the person who drafts that fox will get. Right. And, and so just, that's kind of like, those. that's the yeah. big picture of a round. But along the way, you're doing other little engine building things and, and scoring things. So you have these study cards that, you know, are kind of like, 
goals that you achieve across the course of the game by by breeding foxes that have certain traits based off of the card you drafted. You're upgrading your player mat um, by having yeah. matching trait tokens that will, you know, and the upgrades are really cool. They can score you more points. They can give you additional dice. They can allow you to breed yeah. additional foxes every round, get new endgame scoring study cards um well, and, visit and, the patrons who are these like end game scoring goals as well so yeah well and would you say for the uh the upgrade <laughs> that it seems like there's a pretty clear delineation between early game ones that are more engine building in nature giving you more dice allowing you to breed more foxes yeah versus patrons and end games like different the studies ways of boosting and studies different ways of boosting your end game scoring yeah, I mean, I guess this gets a bit into tips and strategies, but it's definitely right. broken down that way where uh, because of the way the game worked, it's worth it to have more dice for more rounds um, oh, yeah. than it is to secure, you know, certain end game scoring early in the game when it doesn't make a difference till the end of the game anyway. Yeah. It's kind of like to use a wingspan analogy, it's like there's much more benefit in playing a brown power bird in the first round. Whereas, you know, an, a yellow endgame bird, it doesn't do anything extra for you other than covering up a spot um, until the end of the game anyway. So you can hold off on playing it until the final round. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into like the nitty gritty of every little rule because, again, there, there's just like the game does such a good job of you just even now, like having I think I've played it four or five times now. I still just use that reference card to just go, okay, and now we do this, and now we do this, mm -hmm. now we do this, and it's very easy and straightforward. But yeah. basically, everything you need to know to know if you'll like this is over five rounds, you're breeding foxes, you're drafting parents, and you're scoring for them accordingly. And it's based off of rolling dice. Um, and the more the dice you get, the quantity and the variety depends off of your drafting. Yeah. No, I think, I think that that sums it up pretty well. Um, I mean, the yeah, there's a few other added wrinkles I, that come to mind, but I feel like maybe those are more applicable for the tip section. Was there anything else well, you wanted to add? Let, let's just go straight into the tips then. Cool. Sounds good. Um, I mean, you already mentioned the one, which is you know on your upgrade board, focusing on engine building early and then end game scoring late which mm -hmm. you know a common strategy across a lot of types of games was there anything else in tips that comes to mind for you yeah i would say don't underestimate um the value of going first <laughs> that's, that's the that's the other big one that came to mind for me yeah, yeah I learned so the hard way last time we played yeah so we played yesterday and i ended up going first in all five rounds and just to again remind how that's determined so for round one whoever has the cutest pet as determined by mm -hmm. the group goes mm -hmm. first but from that point on and obviously if you know you want you can change it up accordingly um, house rules but from that point on for the subsequent rounds the turn order is determined by who claims the leftmost available um resource tile 
when you're in that drafting phase. So the third thing you draft in addition to the parents is that tile and they go from left to right. Um, Whoever takes the leftmost spot will go first in the next round. And the advantage of going first is you get dibs on drafting next time, Mm -hmm. which depending on, you know, what, what's available can make a big difference when you're trying to get parents certainly or tokens that would help you score your study cards that give you scoring points or that will help you you know breed the best possible fox um mm-hmm. yeah and there like it it really does kind of matter i think even more as the game goes on because the parents that the game gives you to start with these are all your um olgas and vasilis and dimitris they will each give you anywhere between one and three dice each. Most of them are two. Um, yeah. But when you start breeding your own foxes and those go into the parent pool, potentially one of those that you bred could have as many as eight dice to give you. Oh, Which, yeah. you know, if there's one available that would give you, the, let's say that you bred in the last round, that would give you six dice, and then the other two each give you two, whoever gets that one with six dice is going to be at a significant advantage for, you know, getting resources, scoring the highest friendliness that round, um, potentially making progress on their studies. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. No, absolutely. The other thing I'd add on to that is that the advantage of additional dice kind of compounds as you go, just Mm -hmm. because you, people that tend to have more dice earlier tend to, you know, obviously score higher on their foxes, but Mm -hmm. that also tends to allow them to do more upgrades, do more upgrades. And one of, I feel like the two key upgrades for this are additional dice and additional foxes. And if you not only have more dice, but you're also breeding more foxes in a given round, like you're at Mm -hmm. a huge advantage over someone. Yeah. Cause even if you roll badly, yeah. But you get to breed a second fox that round. You know, it, it just increases the odds that you're going to end up with the friendliest fox. Right. Um one thing, one question I have for you is yeah. so, you know, you just mentioned that, you know, things kind of compound in this game with the right. turn order and the upgrades and everything. That said, there are a lot of catch-up mechanics built into the game. Yeah. Do you think that they are adequate? Um, or do you feel like whoever is ahead just kind of, I don't you know, think steamrolls through. I don't think I've played enough to know for certain. Um, okay. but I will say that the, the catch, like the catch up mechanisms do not, I feel like some games, the catch up mechanism is designed so structurally you will catch up. And this is like, mm-hmm. it's more contingent in this game. It's not a slam dunk. Because yeah. one of the main catch-up mechanisms is, you know, getting these tiles that can be used as wilds to complete dice where you only have half of a completed shape and you can just use these tiles to count as the other half to complete them. But in yeah. order to use those, you need to have enough dice that you have some open ones that need to be filled. Um, and yep. I definitely, when we played, had some times where um, I had a whole pile of those things that were, in theory, supposed to let me catch up. But because I was behind 
on a couple of dice because I was you couldn't a, use them all as quickly as you wanted to exactly because I I couldn't because I was like one dice behind on the wild die and then a dice or two behind on the foxes because you had better foxes than me as well yeah um I I feel pretty good about the catch up mechanics that are built into this game I think that yeah I I think it strikes the right balance of it's not you know, overcompensating for underperformance. So specifically the ones you just mentioned, you know, you're going to get one or two of those wild half traits as compensation for not winning that round's friendliness prize. So the person who wins the friendliness prize will get anywhere between two and five points, depending on which round you're on, which is just, you know, done deal. End of the game, you're getting those points. And then whoever lost is going to get one or two of those half traits that can help them, you know, in the next round. Same thing for if you take one of those um, spots when you're trying to, when you're drafting for who will go first next round, the spots that are, that would, you know, basically guarantee that you don't go first, give you, have a little bit of a handicap. They will also give you an additional wild half trait that you can use. Um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't really have anything else for tips and strategies. It's yeah, pretty straightforward. It is. It is pretty straightforward. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else on that. <clears throat> um, we can come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah. I don't think there's anything else. Um, the next thing we usually talk about is the best and worst thing about mm-hmm. a game. So do you have a best thing? Oh yeah, I definitely do. The best thing to me about this game is the dice. Um, I, I just think they fit the theme so well and it's such a creative use of dice because, you know, the little symbols on there that represent the gene alleles, I feel like the randomness of it is really cool and, you know, fits in with the, the randomness of like, actually breeding foxes, but then they're shaped. So they kind of look like little, you know, pieces of genetic material, or at least you could see yourself as thinking that. And then in addition to that, like you, the, yeah, the fact, the fact that you're then like piecing them together is kind of a fun way that I think, I mean, there's no puzzle to it. Like you're, you're not usually gonna like there are some times where you could optimize it slightly, but it's not like a difficult puzzle to figure out. You're more just fitting the pieces together in a pretty routine way, but it's still a fun way of feeling like you are the one creating what's coming out of the process. Yeah. My, my answer is pretty similar. It's, um, it's connected to the breeding process as well, but it's just the actual, um, the pups, like the cards themselves, the way that you score, uh, the, like you document what you bred yeah. um, by putting these little X's and O's on the traits to determine how many dice and how many resources you get for that pup, scoring the friendliness. And then also I think it's really fun that you can just like write your own name for each pup you get. So part of what makes that this game so fun good. as well is this like... So good. At least when we play it, like the comedy of naming yeah. some of the pups with these very oh, tragic yeah. names based off of, um, you know, how they, how they were bred. So 
Mm-hmm. You know, some of them are cute and you just give them normal names or you name it, you know, cuteness or something. But some of them you get a terrible role and you name it, you know, sickness or disappointment <laughs> <laughs> or notoriously uh, almost I when know. you bred one that was almost as friendly as mine. <laughs> yeah, I really hope yeah. we, don't, we don't give these uh, give these foxes a complex with these names, but sometimes yeah. it's just too hard to resist. It's yeah. Um, it makes the game much more like just straight up fun and funny. Yeah. Um, worst thing about this game. Huh. You have anything? I think. Why don't you go go first? Because I've got a few things that come to mind, but like I think a lot of them are just products of the fact that it's a more streamlined, simple game, and I'm not sure I can dock it for them. So I'm curious to hear what you right. say first. Um, I I don't know if I like. I don't want to be unfair and say these are the worst, as in they're actually bad things, but they're just the things that excite me the least or I find the least, you know, interesting about the game. So the first one is, as much as I love the artwork of the foxes, uh-huh. I wish there was more variety in the okay. ones you see because a lot of them are repeats of the same artwork over and over again. Yeah. Um, so it gets it gets a little bit stale after a while. Um, and then the other one is the patrons. So yeah, the patrons was, are, they are cool. upgrades that you can do that will give you end game scoring. So, you know, if you visit a certain patron, um, you get one point for every um, brown trait you put on your upgrade mat, or you'll get two points for every round that you won the friendliness competition. That, that kind of thing. Like, very familiar to anyone who knows endgame scoring. I like them. The only problem I really have with them is that there's not enough variety. So I've played the game, yeah. like, four times, I think, or five times, and I've already seen them all. So in each yeah. game, you choose four of them, and they are double-sided with a side A and side B. Um, but I, they're only, like, six cards, I think, or seven. I have the Kickstarter right. edition that came with an extra one or two, but there's just not enough variety in them so it feels a little bit stale very quickly and i don't really know what the solution to that is because when the game is as simple as it is there's only so many things you can do right um without making it you know wildly imbalanced or you know confusing but yeah yeah i don't know it just it feels like (sighs) Not to get too much into the discussion of if I'd want more expansion content for this, but like if that was a thing, I would want some additional patrons to change things up. Yeah. Yeah, I could I, I could definitely see that because you're you're right that, that those were there's <clears throat> not the game doesn't leave itself a lot of room, at least in its base game iteration, to riff on that. Yeah, or another way that would, I think, be like make the patrons a little bit more interesting is that if you made it like a first come, like um, you, get, you get an added benefit for being the first one. Yeah, like you get to yeah. claim the upgrade tile that's on that spot, or that, you know, only one person can get each patron. So it gives you more of an incentive to 
yeah. rush it, then you know what tends to happen is you just wait till the end yeah. and then maybe take one or two. Yeah, I but if everyone can get all of them, it it kind of becomes a wash a lot of the time. Well, I think another thing they could do. I'm pretty sure there's several games that do this, but the one that comes to mind is actually a children's game, My Little Everdell. Um, because what they do is they they have the equivalent of like the special events. Yeah. That you can well, complete. even Everdell, like the way the events work, is like that. Is like what? First come, first serve. Like, well, well, but like what My Little Everdell does is it softens it a tad bit for the kids. And what it does is multiple people can claim something, but the first person who gets it gets more points than whoever comes second or third. Yeah. That's kind of like, I guess, kind of like the journey in Everdell as well. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like that. It's like that. But I, I kind of like that idea because... Or even um, like the guild in um, the South Tigris games. Yeah, the reason... The reason I mentioned that as an option for this is not because I think the game needs to soften a competitive side, but more because Mm -hmm. I worry a little bit that given how tight the game is and how short the rounds are, that if you incentivize to rush for it too much, the trade-off for rushing to get those would be so high for the engine that you're building that it might not be worth it. Whereas if you make it just the difference of a few points... That might soften it enough that it's like, it just makes the calculus a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine this is something that was play tested and experimented yeah. on a lot in the development process. So, Oh, no doubt. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm sure that expert hands like Elizabeth Hargraves thought about these things and figured that, you know, the way it is works best for the overall balance of the game but just something i was thinking about yeah yeah definitely that makes sense is there anything else that you didn't quite love um one other thing is i almost wish there was a bit of a selective process for the parents that are available in the first round like maybe there's more choices available in the first round just because i think the momentum of the entire game can shift a lot if you start a game with all very bad parents with not very good dice rolls versus like having just one versus two makes a huge difference well this is something that um could be interesting to see if you play with higher player counts. And I've only ever played this game at two. But the way the parents work is that the number it's of available scaled, parents yeah. is number of players plus one. So in a two-player game, right. you have three of each. Right. So in a you know four-player game, then that could also make it much more valuable to go first yes. in a round like that because you're going to be choosing from a lot of different options. And when it's more competitive to see not just you know who goes first, who goes last, but even going second as opposed to going fourth can make a big difference. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Cool. Um, so in terms of expansion content, this is a brand new game. So not much to talk about. The only thing that exists is the five and six player expansion, um, which well, then, does exactly what it says. Right. You can well, play then, with up to six. And then I guess also... If you got the Kickstarter edition, there are some promo cards, correct? Yes. Um, literally, uh, 
a couple one, more patrons, right? <laughs> I think it was one patron, honestly. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't remember if there was anything else other than that. And then just the other, the only other thing that's different in the Kickstarter edition is um the component quality is different. So a lot of the cardboard pieces are switched out for plastic. That's that's about it. Yeah. Um, it's very nice. Like this is one of those games I think is a much um enhanced experience for having the upgraded components um yeah, the, the the coloring of the dice in particular is very yeah cool. they kind of have this marbly um look to them and then all the trait tokens instead of being cardboard are these nice you know plastic screen printed looking coins um they look like little m&ms or something they're very nice yeah. and then your foxes, your little fox tokens that you use to like mark your your studies cards and the friendliness are screen printed in full color, which is nice. Um, yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's not what's going to come in the retail version. That said, the retail version, you still do get pretty good concordance. I mean, a lot of it is just like cardboard chits instead of the plastic, but the foxes are made of wood. Um, yeah, not, it's not bad. Right. Definitely. And like, I, as someone who, um, you know, I generally sleeve cards in my games. Obviously, this is not a game where you can really do that because a big part of it is dry erase that you have to write on the pups and then erase it. Yes. But one thing that I, I was worried about when I saw this game, and I'm glad it isn't the case, is that I was worried that, like, you know, sometimes a dry erase, you know, it gets stained or it doesn't erase properly or like, Things just, you know, the quality yes. isn't good over time. Yes. So far, it it seems like they did a really good job. Um, yeah, with I, the I like, was gonna say the it cards, really it erases did. very well. Um, yeah. yeah, and like the cards kind of have this heavier plasticky laminate feel to them. So I feel pretty good about not having to sleep them. We'll see if that holds up over time, but yeah, yeah, happy with that because that could have gone wrong i guess i mean eventually you're gonna have to replace the dry erase markers that come with the game that you know because ink runs out but basically they they give you pretty standard ones that you would just find in any stationary aisle so it was not like it's a difficult thing to replace which makes you think that the fact that they erase very nicely probably has more to do with the quality of the cards rather than the marker type yeah, no, well, I mean, you can erase with your fingers even, and it works just fine. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. So let's give our final rating for the Fox Experiment. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this game a lot, and it I think more more than I expected to. Like, the, the artwork didn't quite grab me. Um initially but once i saw the dice i was like okay i'm i'm into this yeah the artwork is pretty much just fine yeah and so i think i i think i would give the fox experiment an eight i okay i initially was a little higher on this game but um i think even within the confines of an hour-long game um they're well, yeah, I went back and forth, and I think you could go either way on this. Like, 
you're having a trade-off where it's a shorter, more streamlined game, as we've said, and therefore, like, the variety of endgame challenges and all that kind of thing is more limited. And despite that maybe limiting the how the shelf life of the game, I still feel like it's a really fun one. I love the how the dice and the games of chance work into the uh, the theme of you know genetic breeding, and I love how the catch up mechanism is designed to you know give you a little bit of wiggle room when you're like a half dice short in certain situations. Mm-hmm. All of those things I really like about the game. And so I think even with the limitations I outlined, this has a place on the shelf as like a really, really compelling short game that you can get a lot of mileage out of for what it is. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give it an eight. I think the biggest flaw of this game, as you kind of alluded to, is um, the variety of the experience. You know, I mean, as much as the dice roll differently every time and you're breeding different foxes, it kind of follows the same pattern every time, which is fine because a pretty simple game. It's just, you know, I feel like this is one of those games where when you've played it once, you have you have seen it all. Um you're not going to be surprised. You're not going to have a radically different experience the next time. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's not like necessarily a bad thing, especially because, you know, like, as you said, it's a pretty simple game. It doesn't overstay its welcome. But I think, yeah, an eight is, is where it sits perfectly. And I really, I can, I can so tell that this is an Elizabeth Hargrave design based off of some of the similarities with Wingspan with the engine building, Um, particularly as it relates to the upgrade mat going left to right. Um, I wish we had been able that we had like had this game in our brains when we did our whole discussion episode about engine building, because I do think that the roll and write the dice element does bring something fresh that a lot of other engine building games that we've talked about don't have. Well, um, it's, it's rare, which gives it added value, especially because I, I mean, the roll and write thing, absolutely. But in addition to that, how many engine building in building games can you think of that you can play in an hour? Yeah, I mean, I guess wingspan, um, you can definitely. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I'm looking. At, no, I'm looking at my shelf, and a lot of my smaller games don't really fit into that engine building. Um category except for like card drafting games um like carnival of monsters and it's a wonderful world right and i guess games like splendor or native valir um but yeah there are not a lot of them and and this is the one that is on the upper end of satisfying that complex game craving while not being long and complex so yeah Yeah. i'm gonna go with an eight um and it's definitely sticking around on my shelf um i will not be selling it uh so yeah that solves that problem i will be keeping my (laughs) my signed kickstarter edition after all which i'm very happy to do yeah um yeah cool so that's the fox experiment and one thing i'd say as well that i noticed um when i pulled up the bgg page was right now it has a 7.3 overall on bgg and it was actually at a 7.1 a couple weeks ago. 
so it's when I added up. it to my collection. So it does seem like it's trending up a little bit. And of course, like honestly, a seven point three on BGG is pretty solid. Um, that kind of is like a real eight because very few games get over an eight. Yeah. On BGG, so yeah. For what that's worth. Cool. So that's the Fox experiment, and we'll leave it at that. I'm gonna go hug my dog now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and then play this game with Merlin, right? Now, I mean, if he could. I, well, that's my question, right? Like, if you play with Merlin, which of you gets to go first? Does he get to go first for being the cutest pet, or do you? No, the rules are very, very explicit. That it's <laughs> who has the cutest pet. So, yeah. I definitely win over him. <laughs> Although he has a fox, a stuffed fox. So, oh, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I will let you know um, how that game goes. Sounds good. I will eagerly await to hear the result. All right. Bye.